1: Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com.
2: A sweeping study by the National Institute of Mental Health recently revealed that one in two children will develop a mood or behavioral disorder. Or a substance addiction before age 18. Imagine that 50% of children will develop a mood or behavioral disorder or a substance addiction. That is a statistic that we need to pay attention to. This comes out of a brand new book by Katherine Reynolds Lewis entitled The Good News About Bad Behavior why kids are less disciplined than ever, and what to do about it. And I do have to give you a little foreshadowing here. We will be interviewing Katherine Reynolds Lewis in an upcoming episode. Jen, what do you think about that statistic? I think it is
1: scary, and it is sobering, and it's important to talk about mostly, is what I think about it. Um, One in two means that out of my four... At least two, statistically speaking, should have a mental health or behavioral disorder or substance abuse or all of the above by the time they're 18. We as parents so often like to think that if we do everything right, that our kids will turn out perfect. And we all have our own definitions of perfect. But for most of us, we don't really include substance um, abuse and behavioral problems, and even mental health disorders in our definition of perfect. We all want this kid that is thriving in the world and has nothing holding him back. And this study is talking to the truth
2: that says that is not reality. Right. And to your point, normalizing it, talking about it. So we're going to be talking about some hard stuff today, anxiety, depression, suicide, but it is really important that we have these conversations and that you have these conversations with your kiddos Mm -hmm. and you're tuned in to how their mental health is developing. What do you think that some of the factors are? What should parents be watching for? how do they even know? I thought my kids were doing fine, but I didn't find out till my daughter was grown that she actually felt anxious a lot of the time as a child.
1: I don't know uh, that much about your background, you know, mental health background. I have learned through my own experience and uh, talking to others in my family that anxiety and depression both run in my family. And this is as a result, something I've had to deal with in my own life, which has made me be more attuned in trying to pay attention to it in my children. Uh, My story is that I was ultimately diagnosed with double depression when I was in my thirties, which is this persistent low grade depression. That's like just your norm. That's pretty much your norm interspersed with deeper, darker periods of depression. It took me a long time to recognize this partly because it was my norm. I didn't know that life could be different. And the other issue was this whole stigma thing because I felt that if I went and got a diagnosis, then there would be something wrong with me. If I didn't, then there wasn't something wrong with me, which makes zero sense. I mean, if, if my diabetes isn't diagnosed, it, doesn't mean I don't have diabetes. It just means I don't know and can't take care of myself. But that's where my head was at at the time. I have since undergone treatment, counseling, and medication, and I actually know what joy is now. And I didn't before. And so this is something that I want my children to be able to know joy. But at the same time, I still see all the barriers that make it difficult to deal with in children, in families, and with boys in particular.
2: Yes, I do want to say at the outset that we are talking about a different beast here because boys and men exhibit symptoms differently than girls and women. And part of what happens for boys and men is it's not okay. It's really not okay. To talk about it. Girls will sidle up to our friends and need a hug and have a cry. And that does help at some level to feel like we aren't alone. Mm-hmm. But boys get that cultural message that it's not okay to share your feelings. It's not okay to be scared or nervous or all of the things. So boys and men tend to not seek treatment for any depression that they have. And interestingly enough, depression, there's almost no difference between a male and female depression. So it's about 31% males are depressed. 33% females are exhibit Mm -hmm. depressive symptoms. 75% of women will get help. Men do not tend to go and seek a counselor support.
1: Is a big part of why our suicide statistics overwhelmingly skew male, because there is a stigma, there are these expectations, it is perceived as weakness, and it makes it very, very, very difficult to get help. And here's the other thing, depression and anxiety, those, those disease states make it very difficult to get help. Mm-hmm. because depression steals your energy. You don't have the strength to reach out. Anxiety and depression tell you you're not good enough. You're not worth bothering with. So there's all these layers to why it is tough. And I found some statistics too, of course I did, that talk about the fact that for most people, the average delay between the onset of symptoms and intervention, and this is if they seek intervention, it's 10 years. What? 10 years. When it comes to children, uh, children and teens, even though depression and anxiety are both diagnosable and very treatable in children and teens, only about rounding numbers, about 40% get treatment. About 60% do not. This is kind of alluded to in that statistic that you shared at at the beginning, the one and two statistic, but These mental health conditions, anxiety and depression, untreated, increase the risk of things like substance use and risky sexual behavior, um, other risk-taking behaviors with vehicles, et cetera. So there are a lot of really good reasons to try and pay attention. Look for some of these signs and symptoms in your kid and reach out for help. If necessary,
2: I want to just stay with suicide for a moment because I think it's again really important that we start to have these conversations. This really surprised me, and this comes out of Warren Farrell's book, The Boy Crisis. You'll remember we interviewed him in uh, some episodes back. We'll link to that in the show notes. But he said, interestingly enough, studies about suicide are only studying girls. There is no funding for studying suicide in boys. That is horrifying because listen to this. So they've they've determined that the early 20s for a male and after 65, after retirement, are the most alone and most vulnerable times for males. Thus, the suicide rate increases. And after 65, it actually goes up each year. So Hmm. you can see that in the early 20s, there's kind of this gap between what's expected of me and fear of, am I living up to my family's expectations, society, even the expectations he set for himself. And so there's there's this fear that he won't meet them. And the suicide rate for that age group is 4.5 times higher than girls. But listen to this, Jen, it's crazy. After 65, when men are no longer working, so that sense of self-worth has gone away and it's more just them and who am I? And maybe I'm worth more as an insurance policy Mm -hmm. than I am as a human being here. And Warren Farrell cites the statistic that by age 85 men's suicide rate is 1,650 times higher than for females the same age.
1: Yeah, that moment of silence there was, there's nothing to say to that. It speaks to the importance of laying this foundation of paying attention to your mental health and taking care of yourself. I have to tell you the statistics that you were sharing about suicide risk and young men in their early twenties terrifies me because I have one son right in that age range. And I am going to be brutally honest right now. I have been worried about him in depression for years. I know my family history. I'm diagnosed with depression. I take medication for it. Life is so much better since. I have at least one sibling currently on an antidepressant, a few others that have been diagnosed and uh, deal with it in other ways. This particular child of mine has been persistently negative for years and years and years and years and years. And, years. and would make some disturbing comments, things like, I don't know if I wanna live anymore, when he was four. I wow. have a distinct memory of walking with a friend, pushing our little ones in stroller, and he said that, and she looked at me like, Is that normal for him? And it was.
2: So, this is a big red flag for moms out there because I have had moms come to me and say, You know, my son is saying he doesn't wanna live. This is the moment when you need to step in and take action. And seek mental health professionals who can help you help your child.
1: And it is, it's very difficult because on the one hand, we want to rationalize things and say, well, you know, he only said it once, or maybe he's not serious. So there's that. And the other, again, we're getting very real here. The other factor is this can be extremely difficult if there is another parent or other people in your child's life that don't believe in any of this stuff. And by that, I mean, don't really think that anxiety or depression are real things or that counseling is a worthwhile thing. And without going into too much detail, that has been an issue that I dealt with at that point with my son. And um, now my son thinks that. So even though he is
2: in his early 20s, he doesn't believe in any of this and yeah. this is such a good point this is the this is the male female difference that we are talking about mm-hmm. is that belief of oh i can do it myself and i can fix it myself and yes. that's not a real thing whereas many females would say I need help here. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to be vulnerable, take the risk, whereas guys are not. So again, I mean, that just highlights this gap that we have in even the willingness to accept. And that can be very difficult for
1: our sons to accept. You know, if we talk to them and talk about reaching, reaching out for help, because they're swimming in this whole social stereotypes too, that men are strong, men can't reach out. I talked with author Anne Douglas a few years ago. Anne Douglas is a Canadian writer and parenting expert, and she wrote a wonderful book called Parenting Through the Storm. She has four children, and at one point in time, all four of her children were dealing with various mental health conditions. I specifically asked her this, this question of, you know, what do you do if nobody else is on board with you, that this is a problem. How do you do that? And she mentioned that, you know, you may need to take a two-tiered approach. First of all, there is a lot that you can do on your own as a parent to help support your son, even if you can't yet get to professional help. You know, another issue that families often face here is that there is a shortage of qualified mental health providers in this country. So even if you make the phone call, And even if you get an appointment, it may be weeks, if not longer, before you get an appointment. Mm -hmm. So she talked about, first of all, working on your own coping strategies so that your own anxiety doesn't uh, further influence your son. And she really talked, and we talk about this all the time, about using parenting strategies that focus on collaboration, building that relationship with your son working with him rather than trying to get him to do what you think he should do. And the other thing that she mentioned is that often boys are more likely to accept treatment or even going for an evaluation if they know of or hear of another boy or somebody they respect who had an issue. This
2: episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat,
1: and whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk, and Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula Three month supply of Easy Melts Vitamin D three with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, t-r-y dot, easymelts easy com forward
2: slash onboys. Who sought help? and who is doing better as a result of it. I'm guessing it doesn't have to be someone that they know, but it could be a celebrity, a sports figure that has come forward and said, I'm struggling with this, and this is what I've done.
1: And that's where I think some of these stories of celebrities sharing their struggles have been and are helpful. As we were preparing for this podcast, I was on the website of a site that offers online counseling services. On their front page right now is Michael Phelps, the world's most decorated Olympian of all time, sharing his story with depression. I think it is very powerful for our boys to hear from somebody who is so clearly successful. I mean, you know, if you've ever seen the in the picture of him that was in Sports Illustrated, he's got those long arms stretched out and they're full of medals. He shares a story how there was this point in 2014 at that point, he only had 18 gold medals, and yet he was in such a dark place, he didn't know if he wanted to live anymore, and he had not left his room in five days. So to share stories like that with our boys, and then with, you know, he sought treatment, and then he even came back and won you know, 10 more gold medals, that can make a difference. And it's not immediate. It's not like you, you show the video, and then your kid goes, oh, all right, well, schedule an appointment for me, mom. Right. It doesn't work that
2: way. but it's a continual conversation to have. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering about anxiety. Let's kind of come back to that because Mm -hmm. that may be a starting signal that something's going on for your child. And I know you have at least one son who struggles with anxiety. And what did you notice? What as a parent on the outside who feels like, I mean, I don't feel like I've ever struggled with anxiety. I don't have a connection to what that feels like or what that looks like. We are naming anxiety, and I'm actually not sure what we're naming, when we're naming it. Can you clear me up on that, Jen? What is anxiety? How does it manifest? What do we see in our children that we would be using the term anxiety or anxious?
1: Interesting thing about mental health conditions is it rises to the level of a diagnosis when whatever the thing is whether it's anxiety depression bipolar schizophrenia whatever condition it is when the symptoms interfere with your functioning in daily life so when we're talking about something like anxiety a lot of times people will think of worry as a synonym for that you know being worried about something and certainly we all worry about things But generally speaking, our concerns about something don't interfere with our lives too much. So with my son, it took me a while, and I feel kind of stupid in hindsight, his first symptoms were physical. They manifested physically. And that's not uncommon for boys either, because again, that whole, they've been socialized not to think about their feelings, and so the body experiences it often first. He was having these, stomach ache isn't quite the right word, but his his stomach wouldn't be quite right at times. And I noticed the first time, I just thought he had an upset stomach. He was on a school field trip. He had an upset stomach. He came home. But the next time there was a school field trip, his stomach was bothering him again. Over the course of talking to him, I came to realize that he was kind of anxious about this field trip. And maybe it did start with an actual stomach bug or something on the first trip, but he was far away from home. He was an over an hour away from home. And now this next trip, he was worried that something would happen. And what if, you know, I do get sick and what if somebody can't get me? And this was keeping him from going to something That I forget what exactly the field trip was, but trust me when I tell you, it was totally up his alley. It was like, this is your thing, kid. In talking to him since then, anxiety for some other people, it can be this um, perseverance of thoughts where the same thoughts just keep going round and around and you're in a loop and you can't get yourself out of them. Sam's anxiety reared its uh, head again when he did the sixth grade camp experience that we talked about in our camp episode he got very anxious after he saw me at the thought of me leaving and on the one hand his brain knows he can handle this but his body had gone into overdrive and he actually had a little what i believe was a little panic attack he said he felt like he couldn't breathe for a while there and to see him he looked hysterical he was crying he was mm. you know and this is this is not usual if you would just meet my sam we have met sam absolutely he is- Confident and fun,
2: and you know, easy to talk to people. So, to see that something was very off. So, really, to look at the contrasts, and you know your child best, yes, and trust your gut if something is off. And I mean, you saw this pattern of oh, here's another field trip, and we're having the same thing going on.
1: One thing I want to point out as we're talking about anxiety and depression, they are separate things. But often they occur together. And I have to say, I was surprised by the frequency with which they occur together. Nearly half of those diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. So it is very possible for the two to go hand in hand. So you really want to watch for changes in your kid. When we're talking about boys like everything else, it's often you will see more outward acting out than inward things. So when people think of depression or even anxiety with girls, it's this interior thing. It's a girl shutting herself in her room or crying all the time. With boys, it may very well be an increase in irritability, a likely to you know blow up at his siblings or to act out when he's upset to wreck a chair or pound a hole in the wall. Some of those things can happen as part of life, you got to look at the big picture. If this is a change and it is persistent over time, you may need to
2: look for some help. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it's important to talk about social media here, Jen, because again, this is from Catherine Reynolds Lewis's book, but she is seeing that as our teens are more outwardly focused, more external focused their loneliness, their worry, their sadness, their anxiety goes up. As we focus on that external, the money, the how do Mm. I look? What am I wearing? What's my image? It correlates to more anxiety. They found in one study that preteens who spent five days without social media Actually, experienced a boost in their emotional intelligence. Wait, they were still breathing after five days without social media? They survived. Huh. Yeah. That might be
1: news to my children.
2: Yeah, I know. But they are finding over and over again that anxiety increases as screen time increases because. Partly, it preconditions the brain to expecting high stimulation. And if it's not coming from the outside, you know, our little hamster wheels inside can make lots of stimulation happen. And so they found that reading, singing, and going to museums Decreases anxiety by thirty percent.
1: Those are three of my favorite things. They are not three of my boys' favorite things, however. They actually rate pretty low on most of their lists. So that, that could will be a, be a problem. problem. I want to urge a little bit of caution. I think it is important to pay attention to that, but the research is still ongoing, mm-hmm. and some of the the studies that I've seen so far have shown that uh, this tendency to increase depression and anxiety with the more time you're on social media holds more true for girls than for boys. I'm not saying boys can't be affected, but I do think we need to continue to watch the research and how this evolves. But more importantly, watch your kid. If your kid is using social media and is fine, great. Let him continue. If you're seeing some other issues, that's an avenue worth considering.
2: Definitely. And that's, mood swings, impulsiveness, behavior that's out of the usual for your Mm -hmm. child. And sure, you can chalk it up to hormones and puberty and all that, but you need to pay attention as it develops over time. If it continues, then it is time to look for help. So one of the things I wanted to talk
1: about was, what do you do? Okay, we, it's easy to say, go look for help, but where? What do I do? Be, beyond looking at my insurance and then pulling up you know, a list of people and making a bunch of phone calls, which is worthy, your boy might not be open to that yet. And again, you might be facing a major delay. So what else can we do? And I, I found a couple options that I wanted to share with people. First of all, there are you know, all kinds of crisis support hotlines which if you are ever in a critical situation with your son, by all means, call. And we'll share those in our show notes. But there's some other really innovative things that I think may appeal specifically to boys. And there's, this, there's an app that I wrote about recently. It's called K-Bro, the letter K apostrophe and the word bro. And it's not specifically designed to treat depression or anxiety but it is designed to build boys' emotional resilience. It asks questions that basically are getting you to think about your mood. It's gamified so that you're kind of playing a video game, but then these questions will come up that will ask to help you figure out you know, what your emotional state is, kind of help you as the, the kid who's doing this, realize when maybe you're a little off, and then if you are, maybe you should do something about it. Whether that something is go out for a bike ride or talk to a grown up. I wanted to draw people's attention to that, that app. It's K-Bro. Look for it in our show notes. And it was developed by the mom of a boy. Another site that I found that I am so intrigued by, it's called mantherapy.org. Mantherapy go to this website just for fun, even if you don't think you're ever going to use it. It was developed by a lot of groups, including the Colorado Office of Suicide Prevention. This whole idea is it sort of uses humor and these stereotypes about men to reach them. So when you go to the site, you're greeted by Dr. Rich Mahogany, which is, you know, a, an actor portraying a doctor talking about things. And you can opt to take the 20-point head inspection And, you know, get some more information about your mental health. And there's all kinds of information on there too, tools and information. So if you have an older teen, point him in that direction. See what he thinks. Another option that I found, and I mentioned it briefly before, there are now a lot of sites and even apps that offer online therapy where in some cases you can even connect with a licensed counselor but you can do the interaction online or via texting. And for some boys, especially boys that are growing up, you know, and they're comfortable on their phones, this may be a more acceptable option, I think, than that whole, let's sit down and look at the stranger and talk
2: about my problems. Right. And you want to, if you do end up seeing someone in person, you want to make sure that you find a male, very important. And that you find a male who is boy-friendly because they yes. aren't all boy-friendly. And yes. so an initially good test is, do you come in and sit face-to-face face, or do you go out for a walk or do you go play basketball or something mm-hmm. like that? Because mm-hmm. that is going to be a more boy-friendly way of working with your thoughts and feelings.
1: I want parents to know that it may take a long time and a lot of effort to find help, appropriate help that is a good fit for your kid, that your kid will accept and that is helpful for your kid. And it may involve a lot of trial and error. You may schedule an appointment, wait and wait for that appointment, go see that person and find out it's not a good fit. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. I mentioned that I was finally diagnosed when I was in my mid-30s. There were probably three or four failed attempts before that, where I saw various people that was not a good fit for me. And sometimes also your son might not be ready yet. I did manage to get my oldest son in for counseling for a while. And I thought this guy was a great fit. It was a male and he was into fishing. My kid's into fishing. Perfect. Great. Common ground. Well, my son would sit on his couch and he'd talk about fishing. That's it. If the guy went anywhere else, he just sat there. So we did that for a while. And I'll be honest, at a certain point, we decided not to continue to spend money for our son to not talk. But that's not the end of the story. Then you try other things. And
2: I want to reemphasize here how important it is to take care of yourself and Mm -hmm. to recognize that you have family patterns and you've got stuff too. And if you can get yourself the help that you need, then you are in a much better position to help your child. And conversely, your child sees you seeking help and that normalizes that process. So please seek help if you feel like you need it for yourself and keep trying and don't give up. Thanks
1: for joining us. You can find the show notes for this episode at onboyspodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, please share this podcast with your friends and even your community groups and schools will benefit from knowing about this resource. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.
0: Sick of being upsold at gyms?